Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eminem Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And we are back with another week of hockey to talk about. Uh, some big news slightly shortly after we started or uh, finished recording last week. I guess it was a couple of days, but uh, let's just start off with it because it's definitely the biggest news of the week. And that is that the Edmonton Oilers have fired head coach Jay Woodcroft. Uh, and they have also demoted Jack Campbell to the AHL, but we will get to that after. Uh, obviously, that is a big reason for um, Woodcross firing. Uh, it happened, so they lose to the C- San Jose Sharks, which we had talked about and joked about on last week's podcast. Uh, and you could actually see a video of Woodcroft with his assistant coach walking off the ice, and it looks like he uh, mouths the words, that might be it. And his assistant coach goes, yep. Uh, they don't actually fire him right away. They play one more game and beat, uh, I want to say it was the Seattle Kraken, if I'm not mistaken. Um, no, maybe it was not. Yes, it was. It was. They beat the, was. They beat the Seattle Kraken, 4-1. Yeah. to one. And everyone kind of thought that might save his job a little bit, but nope. The news comes down on Sunday, I believe it was, that he is out uh, and that they are promoting... Uh, Hunter McDavid's old junior coach as head coach, as well as Paul Coffey as an assistant coach, um, immediately raised some flags. Uh, Chris Noblock is the name of the new head coach. Um, There's a lot to take in on that. I I think let's start with Woodcroft being out first. What was your reaction when you saw it? I get it. Something needed to change. That's the most obvious thing to change. But also, like, it's not really Woodcroft's fault at all, is it? Uh, yeah. Like, uh, that's kind of where I settle on it too. I mean, from all accounts, he did try to switch their defensive structure and like how they play defense, like two weeks before the season, um, which is pretty bad. Yeah, it's probably not the greatest idea. Um, granted, if it works out, everyone's sitting here saying he's a genius. Uh, yeah. But obviously and like, it didn't. And, XGA and stuff. Yeah, it's what came down to it is... I don't think they're bad is, in the private models either. Yeah, Jay Woodcroft got fired because his goalies couldn't make a save. He couldn't go strap on the pads and play goalie. Yeah. It is as simple as that. Um, fairly or unfairly, that is why he is no longer head coach. Um, because yeah, like when you say it's not his fault, even if it was 35% his fault or something like that, like this dude has got one of the best winning percentages in NHL history. And yeah, of course it's, it's a small sample size. He's only been around for like a year and a half, but like they've been an amazing regular season team over that year and a half. A hundred percent. And like if Connor McDavid's healthy, this doesn't happen. Correct. I think there's a Maybe. 0% chance this happens. Very likely. That, and that that is the other thing, is that both Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl have not looked like themselves this year. Um, yeah. That's not his fault. No, exactly. Like, And, you know, it, it goes down to, I could see both arguments of, well, if you're that reliant on two players, is that really telling about your team? Which I think is fair, but also I think that's more on the general manager than the coach, you know? Yeah, it's not his fault. And honestly, I don't even think it's DHGM's fault. There's no way to make the Edmonton Oilers not reliant on Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Yeah, I go back and forth on that a little bit. I I still, I I do think it's funny to see everyone really turn on Ken Holland after it was like unanimously decided this offseason that they did a good job. Like everyone, everyone said they're third on XG. Yeah, this isn't a bad team. David playing like shit. That's a huge compliment. That means they're actually not, like, obviously they are reliant on McDavid and Dreisaitl from a finishing perspective, but, like, the team is playing well as a whole despite the fact that the the stars aren't there. That's a huge compliment to everyone involved. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I don't know. I I still go back because I I do think that Ken Holland specifically has put this team in tough spots with assets they could have used and things that they've wasted in years past. Maybe that's led up to, they probably could still have a better roster than this. Um, But if you're looking at that as a sunk cost, I do think it's probably not the GM's fault this year either. No, it's just, it sucks, but like, no, when a team 
everyone thinks is going to be good going into the year. And then they, by all accounts, play decent, at least, despite the fact that they're, they have the best player in the league who's playing like ass. Like, I don't know. I, I'm not entirely sure what the, how much fault even needs to be assigned here, other than just, yeah, the goaltending sucked and the pucks haven't gone in the net. Yeah, and I do guess, like, I, I guess one thing you could say, though, is that if there was something to be scared of, of this team going in, it was the goaltending, and everyone knew that. So yeah, giving Jack true. giving Jack Campbell five by five and deciding that's something you want to stick with, along with a guy in his second season who played well last year in Stuart Skinner, but, like, just expecting that to naturally build, I think it's fair to criticize that and say that was a really dumb decision for a team trying to make a, a cup run. Is it that dumb though? Like Stuart Skinner had a nine fourteen last year. He had a nine twenty in the A the year before, nine thirteen in the NHL in that sample. He had a nine fourteen in the year in the A the year before that. Like, and then Campbell played bad uh, last Campbell's, year. Campbell's Campbell's the thing I think that's worse. Now, I, I yeah, the Campbell contract as a whole was dumb, but like yes. I don't know. I don't feel like it wasn't impossible that he bounces back. And Stuart Skinner seemed like a good bet. I think Stuart Skinner still is a good bet to be like honest. Like, I don't think he's this bad, but I think, yeah, 100%. So it's like, what did you do wrong? The Jack Campbell thing, like, yeah, like it was obviously always possible, but let's be honest. Like, Jack Campbell had what one good year of NHL hockey, and it was a great year to do it. It was a contract year with the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the half the year before we played as a backup or like a split kind of guy. Um, but even that year that he was really good, he had some huge ups and some huge downs with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So like, yeah, which is a goalie thing though. Yeah. But this was even more like this went from like unplayable, not just like, cause he like, as much as we clown on Sergei Bobrovsky and the contract that he got, I mean, and like good for him, but like, yeah, like his bad was like a nine Oh two, you know, where it's like, geez, this guy's just not a starter, but like he can play 35 games. Like Jack Campbell. He's unplayable. He had an 888 save percentage last year and got worse after that. Like, he is unplayable. He has an 819 in three games. Yeah, he's in the getting NHL toasted in the NHL. Now, I, I do think it's probably fair to say, like, I didn't think it was going to be this bad. But if you told me Jack Campbell is the 50th best goalie in the league this year, I would have been like, yeah, like. I think him I being playable it. at least was a, not the worst bet. Yeah, like I kind of expected him to be a 1B kind of guy who gets 35 games. Yeah, like anybody saying they thought Jack Campbell was going to be washed out of the league fucking after two weeks of playing time is lying. Yeah, and then also looking in the age, like this dude might actually just have to stop playing hockey for a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah, take some time away and come back. Legitimately, possibly the best approach, which is crazy. Yeah, this is, and you feel for him because, from by all accounts, anyone who's talked to him or like any report about him is that he's a really good dude. Yeah, he seems great. Everybody loved him in Toronto. It's just like a little ray of sunshine, basically. Yeah, so you don't want to see it, but yeah, when it comes to you know Woodcroft, like, yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, I'm sure there are little ins and outs and stuff like that that you probably could nitpick and stuff. But again, when the team was the unanimous cup favorite to come into the year and then have eight bad games it feels like either the projection had to be off or you're overreacting if you're saying in eight games he is the sole reason that this team is two six and two or whatever they were for 10 yeah and i can't stress enough a team that has Connor mcdavid on it and Connor mcdavid is not just playing meh in those games he's playing like a third line no team built around the best player on earth will look Again, they look worse than they should, but that's goaltending, which I don't think is in his control either. So between those two things, like you can basically explain all of it without touching Woodcroft. Yeah, I mean, like the team, I don't know if it's still this way. They, they had a pretty good game. They've had two good games in a row. Like the Woodcroft, last his last game against Seattle, they won 4-1, and then they beat up on the Islanders 4-1 as well. But like heading into that, they had the worst save percentage and the worst shooting percentage in the league. Same percentage, I'm sure, coach does affect here and there, but like not to the degree usually that it's the absolute worst. And shooting percentage is almost, I'm not going to say never, like it's never fully on the coach, you know, unless you're just gaming shots from the blue line, which the Edmonton Oilers are clearly not. Yeah, exactly. 
And even now, like at five on five, the only team with a worse shooting percentage than them is the San Jose Sharks. And that makes sense because that team is horrible. We can like, we don't need to get to a third. I watched them live on Friday and oh my God, that is the worst team I've ever set eyes on. I'm not even kidding. They have a bit of a treat. That team, Mark Edward Vlasic, man, like they got an LTIR. He cannot, he's not an NHL player. It's as simple as that. It, it is incredibly bad. Um, anyways, back to Edmonton. Uh, yeah, and their save percentage is still sixth last in the league. The teams below them, Calgary, uh, which is a little surprising, I would say. We both kind of thought there would be at least a chance to bounce back there. The Devils, that's not really surprising, especially with Jack Hughes out. Uh, the Avalanche, again, a little surprising, but also if you told me this year that uh, Gorgiev wasn't going to be the eighth or seventh best goalie in the league or whatever, but yeah, yeah, I can see that. The Tampa Bay Lightning, definitely understandable. And the Minnesota Wild, which is, again, a little surprising, but more just because of their defensive structure than anything else. Yeah, I agree with that. But, like, San Jose has a better save percentage than them at 5-1-5. That's wild. That's actually hilarious. Yeah. And some of that is because San Jose is so bad that they bleed so many shots. Their goalies just naturally stop 35 goals a game, even if they let it, or 35 shots a game, sorry, even if they let in five goals a game, but still. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think I, I, Woodcroft is going to get a job real soon. I would personally love to see him take over the Ottawa Senators' job. Um, it still doesn't really That'd sound like they're going to. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, I think he is a good coach. Like, you know, he has both the regular season success and even playoff success, too. You know, like if we really want to count into that, I mean, yeah, they got swept in the conference final, but they did make a conference final. And last year they made round two and I think lost in six to the Golden Knights who won the cup. So. It could do worse than that. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously that's still not good enough, given the expectations of having Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on your team, which is understandable, but. Yeah, like I just, I have a hard time blaming Jay Woodcroft for this. And yeah, even Ken Holland, I, I think it's fair to question how he's built the team up to this point in terms of all the other past moves in past years. But if we're looking at it just in a vacuum of how this roster was built, everyone loved this roster a week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah, if you're, like, if, like it was the unanimous cup pick. Yep. Yeah, that is a good thing. <laughs> that. Yeah. So, I don't know. And I, I do think one of, I want to talk about what is there to blame. One thing that I think is going to be really to blame is if they have three million dead money on next year's books from Connor Brown. Yeah, yeah, that's a tough deal. If especially three million on Connor Brown, and almost four on Campbell. Yes, and so this is the thing, and this I think kind of got underrated this year, to be honest. The Edmonton Oilers signed Connor Brown to a one-year 775K deal. Uh, looks great on paper. You know, he's obviously 29, coming off a very serious injury in which he missed all of last year. I think it was a knee injury, uh, or almost all of last year, I should say. Um, so that's the reason that they could send sign this deal, because it is 77, uh, 775 as a base, but it has $3 million incentive bonus. And that incentive is simply to play 10 games. So looked almost, you know, a lock that he was going to hit it, of course, right? Unless he, you know, had yeah. a super serious knee injury right away. And that goes under the radar because if they were a team that had $3 million in space this year, it wouldn't be a big deal, but they're not. So it gets added on to next year's cap when they should still be competing in the last year of dry cycles, current contract and the year before that of McDavid's as well. And wow, that, that I can't believe that dry side feels almost done. I know. Right. And that's why they I get there. Yeah. Like there's urgency here. And you know, some of the, the reasoning that people are speculating and it when this is where we can probably get to the new head coach of it's mcdavid's old junior coach and people yeah. sort of think that's the owner kind of getting involved saying we got to do everything we can to keep this guy um by all accounts you know mcdavid i'm sure he was he knew of what was happening but by all accounts he's not someone who really is saying we need to go get this guy he's my boy or anything like that but at the same time when your agent, your former agent, is literally the president of the team, and then your former junior coach is now your head coach, those connections are going to be connect, uh, drawn, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah. People are going to say it. The, there's, there's no way around that. And you're Connor McDavid. All eyes yep. are on you. 
Yeah, exactly. Like, and and it would make enough sense if like he wanted to help make his own decisions. But you know, at the same time, it's not like this is a guy that they pulled straight out of Erie or anything like that. Like he has spent time as an assistant coach in the league and been working his way up from all accounts. And um, you know, yeah. everything that I've heard is he was on you know some short list to to be a head coach, but um. Yeah, I like heard I, he was good with the was it the Rangers AHL team last Yes, year? or yes, I believe it was. Yes, it was Hartford. So the Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like I'm sure he's I'm sure he's not just McDavid's. But it's a tough look, especially right is. now. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it goes back to that dry saddle contract it has one more year on after this, and McDavid only has two. So they're doing everything they can to try and make sure they keep this guy of these two guys, and, and which is fair. Um, but yeah, like one of the underrated things is Connor Brown has zero points in nine games so far. If he plays one more game, they have three the million dollars on their books for a, for a zero point run. Yeah. So, and it sounds like he is how like I it, by all accounts I think he's playing tonight against the Kraken. So it might when this podcast is out, it's very well possible that he has played his tenth game and they will have three million dollars on the books next year. That would hurt. Yeah, that would hurt a lot. I can't and, believe like everybody's talked about it for a while and kind of memed it on Twitter, but we could actually see the end of the McDavid era in Edmonton. Yeah, I it really depends if they can turn this around or not. Yeah, it's like the inverse of the Canucks. Everybody being like, oh, like they started hot. Use this to be like, hey, Pedersen, look, we're actually good. Lock them in. It's the complete opposite of that. Mm-hmm. The worst timing instead of the best. Yeah, um, I, I think you know they're, they're probably they've already they have one two in a row, so they're they're certainly. But it's just such a big hole that they they put themselves in. Yeah, and, and we've talked about it like two weeks in a row already. Of yeah, it's still early, but it's still early, and now it's like, well, it's getting to the point where it's not that early. No, yeah, yeah, it's fifteen games in. It's a lot of the season. Yeah, like you're approaching the twenty percent mark already. We're probably Jesus. past it. Like, yeah, or, it yeah. probably is past or close at least. Yeah, fifteen, eighteen percent is fifteen games. So wow. one more game. Like after they play tonight, if this is their sixteenth game, which I'm not actually sure if it is, but if this is their sixteenth game tonight, they will be at twenty percent of their season. Wow. Yeah. So it, it puts it into perspective, and then. You know, getting back, maybe the one thing I want to just touch on briefly before we move on is what to do with Jack Campbell. Um, like a buyout has to be the best option, I think. Is it or do you just let him sit? Well, so if you buy him out, his cap, it's 1.1, Starts with 1.3? 1.1, and then 2.3 the year after. 2.3. So it goes 1.1. 2.3 in the first year of the new dry cycle contract, but then 2.6 in the first year of the new McDavid contract, and then down to 1.5, 1.5, 1.5. Oh, that's an ugly spot to be in. Yeah. Versus if they don't buy him out, he's around, I think, 3.8 for the next three 3. years. 8. Yeah. If he's in the AHL. And I guess, you know, you could probably trade him by the last year of that deal. So when McDavid's contract's kicking in, but like, like right now, if you try to trade him, it's going to be a first plus. Oh, easily, with how broke everyone is and how desperate they are. Yeah, and like I would hate to walk into a negotiation. <laughs> I mean, trying to dump that deal right now. Yeah, like it was rumored earlier that Ottawa was going to have to give up a first for Matthew Joseph's contract, who was like one point six or something like that for two years. Yeah, because everyone's that broke. Yeah, so let alone $5 million over three more. It just, yeah, I, I think they're going to have to chew on it, and then they have to either decide if it doesn't get better by the end of this year. I, like, I, I think a buyout has to be the, the option here. That's tough. This is year two of the deal? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, so if they bought him out this offseason, they'd be on the books for six years because of doubles. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough spot again. Poor Jack, too. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And that's the thing, too. Is, uh, again, we want, you know, 
it, it can't be easy on anyone mentally playing this bad at something they don't that they're supposed to be amazing at. But oh yeah, publicly too, yeah. like everybody's mad at you, and oh that would suck. Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be interesting to see what they do from here. Um, again, they're they're trying to claw it back slowly, and that's all you can really do right now. Like I think. You know, if you're the team, I'm sure they're telling themselves one game at a time because you're not going to climb back 10 points in a, in a game, you know? No, no, you're not. But, I mean, I can't, like, they're, they're 16 points behind the Vegas Golden Knights. It's insane. They're 14 points behind the Canucks. Like, that's a lot of ground to cover. That is. Like, they're going to be better than the Canucks for the rest of the season, I'm sure. But that is still so aggressive. Yeah, they're nine points behind the Ducks, who are 8-2-0 like, in their last 10. Like, Yeah. And again, like they're going to be better than the Ducks, but nine points is a lot to make up. Because if you win five in a row, if the Ducks even go 2-2-1, two, two, and one, like, you just have, you only made up half of what you need. Yeah, they they need the ducks to nosedive, which not the worst bet in the world, but yeah. But the issue is they also kind of need the Kings to know nosedive or the, and the crack and to not get hot. Like you yep. have a lot of conditional probabilities you need to go yep. your way here. You need a couple of the blues, coyotes, and jets to kind of sink down a little bit as well. Um yeah. You which know, again, I like all seem individually as fine bets, but you need a, all of them to go through. Absolutely. Um, and I, like, I guess the thing I keep going back to is they are probably lucky the West sucks. Oh, like, if this yeah. was the Eastern Conference, they would be so screwed. screwed. But like in in the West, Tampa like, might be screwed. Just yeah, six and four. Yeah, like Ottawa's six and seven. And it's like, oh my god, they're going to do it again. Yeah, they're going to do the exact same thing again. Yeah, and, if they're in the East, they would be in an awful spot because they would have to leapfrog the Devils and the Lightning for sure. And they'd have to leapfrog everyone in the East, actually. They have fewer points than literally the entire Eastern Conference. But like those specific teams would not be fun to have to leapfrog. Yeah, and even like as much as I don't think they're a great team, like the Islanders isn't a fun team to even get around either because you know they're just going to be picking up loser points. The Penguins yep. aren't going to be a fun team. They're on a W five right now. You know they're yep. they're not going to be a fun team to jump. The Sabers seven eight and one are super disappointed with their season. If they turn it around, you know they're not going to be ages a long time. Yeah, like, but but you know, but Still. in the West, they need to either jump. I mean, they they have to jump the Flames. Very doable. Uh, the Kraken very doable. They especially with another game tonight, they could pull within uh, um, two points of the Kraken with two games in hand. The Ducks doable, but it's you know a, a long straight. And then either one of the Kings, the Blues, the Coyotes, the Wild, um, which again is all doable. Like the Blues and Coyotes, I'm still not sold are great teams. I think they're better. And especially the Coyotes, like, I think they're going to be just a pesky team all year. But, like, I don't The Wilds have obviously had horrible goaltending and just the, the cap hits of uh, Prize and Suter have just really made it hard to do anything with that team. The Blackhawks are 5-8. and eight. They're obviously not very good. The Predators are 5-10. and ten. They're kind of who, you know, they're, they're on an L4. Exactly. Maybe not exactly what we thought they were, but, you know, we both had them bottom half of this division. Yeah. Well, well, they're going to be bad at the very least. Yeah, exactly. So, like, it's not an impossible task. Excuse me, but like, it's just you have to start making up ground. Like they have to rattle off a streak where they win four of six and have an overtime loss or something like that. Yeah, just to get themselves back in the conversation, let alone right in the hunt. Actually, in the hunt, yeah. So, um, that's all I really have on Edmonton, though. Uh, like, do, do you have anything else? Any other thoughts on the team, the coach, like uh, anything at all? I don't. It's just a mess. And it's so hard to evaluate with a McDavid not playing well, too. Like, I just don't know what to expect from them. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's hard because, I like, you can't, you don't want to sit him down or anything like that. But 
if he's going to be playing this bad and it's because he's hurt, which I don't know if it is or not, but you kind of just have to sit him down. Yeah. And but it's like, a tough spot to not do what McDavid wants. Yes, it is. But like now I think is the time to do it. And obviously they're not going to do it tonight. So it's almost not worth talking about. But like you have the Kraken, who are not a good team. You have the Lightning, who are a good team, but are struggling this year, both goaltending and possession. The Panthers, who are a pretty solid team. The Hurricanes, who are a pretty solid team, they're getting hot, so that's unfortunate. But then you have the Capitals and Ducks, who are both not very good teams. And even the, like, the Ducks have a good record. We're going to get to them in a little bit. But like, this is the five or six game stretch you kind of got to take advantage of because then you have the Golden Knights, the Jets, the Hurricanes again, the Wild, the Devils, and then you go Blackhawks, Lightning, Panthers, Islanders. So like, it's a mixed bag, but by the time I'm already getting there, we're into mid-December. So, Man, that's such an impressively bad spot to put yourself in already. Yeah, it's uh, it's just shooting yourself in the foot. And yep. if this stretch happens in the middle of the season, their season functions however it's going to, but you take games 41 to 57 and replace them with now and inject now into then. Do you think he they fire Woodcroft? Uh, no, I don't think so. It's just because it's at the start of the year. Yes, I think so. I mean, yeah, I think you're right. I'm sure there's probably some talk, but yeah, like if you, if they start and they're second or first in their division when this streak happens and they drop to fourth, the panic's just not there because they've done the clawing back that they need to do now, whereas now it's obviously not a given, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. So. Yeah, but I don't think it'll be long before Jake Woodcroft finds his way back into the league if he if that's you know what he wants to do right away. Um, I think there will be a lot of suitors for him this offseason, if not even before that, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. So, all right, let's move on. But before we do, sports betting has rapidly risen in popularity, and we want to connect you all with an opportunity to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbooks accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits and there's never been a better time to sign up when you visit our page signupexpert.com slash mnm you'll be connected to all the sports books in your region along with a review of each platform and the unique benefits it brings all of these sports books have values valuable sign up offers for new users and when you register through our link you will automatically receive the top offer at each one when you use multiple sports books you ensure that you can always access the best available odds which is key to su- successful sports betting if you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our podcast, uh, please consider signing up for your next sports book at signupexpert.com slash MNM. All right. Um, there's a couple teams I wanted to talk about quickly that we have already mentioned in passing. And let's stay in Canada because the Winnipeg Jets are one of those teams that I wanted to get to. Um, we recorded a podcast last week and uh, talked about the four Canadian teams that were in a bit of a frenzy, Ottawa, Toronto, Calgary, Edmonton. I would say all four of them have calmed down relative to what it was last week, but there's still varying levels of panic, you know, least amount being with Toronto, I think. Um, yep. But someone's reply was, you know, it started because uh, uh, one of our Winnipeg um, fan, uh, a Winnipeg fan replied and said, we're so so happy not to have Winnipeg on these lists anymore, uh, which I can imagine would be very nice feeling. Um, and then someone else replied, I think you're really underrating the Winnipeg Jets. They are a very solid team this year. And, I saw that and kind of figured it was just someone being overzealous about what their team is. Uh, and then I kind of looked at it and the Winnipeg Jets are actually as mediocre as I thought. Like they're playing very well. Yeah, they're, they look like a legit team. Kyle Connor, I think, is leading the league in goals. Yeah, well. which, yeah, I mean, it's always a possible, like we always knew, not maybe not possibility, but we always knew he should be up there. Like he, he's always been a points getter. It's just been... The problem is a lot of it's been empty calorie. Yeah. Yeah. His, his point potential has never been worth doubting. Also, I don't think, I think he's been better, but Hellebuck started pretty cold too. And they still yeah. look pretty good, which is not something I would have guessed. No, not at all. Like, um, yeah, I'm just trying to pull up his stats right now, but I know just from like a, a base stat, like he really struggled early in the year. And I know that because I had him in one of my fantasy leagues. It's like, oh my gosh, like this guy is not playing well in the slightest in terms of raw save percentage. Um, and yeah, even right now he's at a zero negative 0.3 goal saved above expected. So almost right at zero and a negative three goal saved above average. So like he is, 
he's not played well for Connor Hellebuck standards, and this team still looks really good. Yeah, which is a huge compliment to them because if you told me they were going to be good this year, I would have guessed it's just, oh, yeah, of course, Hellebuck won nuclear. Yep. Done. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, they're like ninth in expected goals percentage and uh, sixth in Corsi four percentage at five on five. So wow. they're right That's up the there with time. They, was that 17, 18 the last time they were a good play driving team? Yeah, probably the, the year they made the conference final. Yeah. Maybe the year after. I don't really remember. I think they were still OK then, but maybe not quite as good. Um, That's yeah, like, about right. The teams around them in possession are Carolina, Edmonton at two, LA at three, Colorado at four, New Jersey at five, them at six, Florida at seven for Corsi. Like those are all teams that we would expect to be good play driving teams outside of Winnipeg, and Winnipeg's fitting right in with them. Yeah, this is yeah, good for Winnipeg. It's been a while since they've been like worth like interesting at all. Yeah, absolutely. Um and honestly, like I I'm, I want to watch them a little more too because one of the things I kind of um, mentioned this offseason that I was going to be really curious to see is like I thought they killed the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade given the circumstances. And I really yep. wanted to see how that the approach of taking three good players versus one guy who isn't elite, he's very good is what I would call him. Does that make your team better? Because I could see absolutely how. I, maybe it's not the best thing long-term versus like pure assets or whatever, but having Alex Ayafalo, Rasmus Kupari, and um, um, why am I blanking on his name? Gabriel Velarde, who's on the IR, unfortunately, right now. But having those three guys instead of Pierre-Luc Dubois versus, and two guys that are like $1 million players or whatever, I was like, I can see how that is going to be a benefit to this team. Um, and I'm not saying that's the only reason, but like, again, the Nino Nino Ryder move, I really liked as well. So like just adding some depth to the high end talent that we knew they had in terms of scoring is something that is really encouraging for this team. Yeah, absolutely. And to add to the depth, like Perfetti looks legitimately good for the first time in his NHL career, which is kind of a damning thing to say when he's 21. But like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's cool to see them actually having depth. And has have they been better than Dubois? Has he done anything this year? Um, I'm like not sure. I pieces. can't. Like he hasn't been great in LA either, right? No, I don't think he's been like standout or anything like that. So turning someone like that into competent depth is probably a pretty big win for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like Dubois is four points and four goal or four goals for assists in 14 games, which is the same as Nikolai Ehlers, uh, funny enough, for, for Winnipeg. But, like, yeah, it's not like Dubois absolutely lighting it up with L.A. by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, it's a good look for them. I like Kapari, too. Awesome mm-hmm. name. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm just pulling up real quick uh, some goals above replacement numbers because I want to do a quick comparison of Kupari versus Velarde versus Dubois. Versus, oh, that's a fun one. Who's the other guy? Uh, I have follow. I am. I'll pull, up, uh, I'll pull up LA if you want to get the other three. I, I got all of them now. Um, okay. So, Velarde doesn't qualify because he's under the minutes. Here, let me just go to zero minutes. So, I'll pull him up. Velarde's been injured, unfortunately. Like, he's only played three games. But even in those three games, he had 1.2 goals above replacement, funny enough. Uh, Ayafalo has 2.2 goals above replacement in 15 games. Pierre-Luc Dubois has 1.4 in 14, and Kupari has an even zero in uh, 15. So, like, I, Alex Ayafalo, by a goals above replacement standard, has been better than Pierre-Luc Dubois just by himself. Yeah, and they're all within error bars at this point of the season. But, yeah, not like a a notable L, that's for sure. Yeah, exactly. And that was always kind of the point, I think, for Winnipeg was that you don't need to get one for one is if you give yourself three options of players that you consider good, one of them has the chance to be just as good in any given year as a very good player. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all that's with. Flaherty's had a lot of injury trouble, which which yes, yes, yeah. Like, if he stays healthy, there's, like, legitimate upside with him and Kapari. Like, I think that ship sailed on IFLO, but even if he's just, yeah, playing a, a pretty good level. I like that. 
Yeah, I, I agree. So just wanted to uh, show Winnipeg out there and uh, the person who mentioned it to us as well, because I, uh, yeah, it was something that kind of went under my radar and I'm going to try and make it a bit of a, a goal or more of a goal to go back and or watch some of their games going forward here. Oh, yeah. Much as it's a meme, West Coast wise, very real. I pay very little attention to Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Um Quickly before we move on, we'd like to give a shout out to our sponsors at Athletic Greens. Their signature AG1 is an effortless daily habit and is easy to make work for you. However you choose to drink AG1 is the healthiest thing you can do in under a minute. AG1 tastes great and feels even better. Harvested from farms around the world, AG1's ingredients shine in a subtly sweet taste with notes of pineapple and a hint of vanilla. Simply follow the link in our show description and get started today. All right. The other team I wanted to talk about quickly uh, was the Anaheim Ducks who, as we mentioned, are a team that is ahead of the Edmonton Oilers. They are 9-6-0 and 8-2-0 in their last 10. Uh, 9-6-0 on the season, obviously, in 15 games. They have six third-period comebacks in their in 13 games, their last 13 games, which is insane. That is insane. And obviously, I think it goes without saying, this is not where Anaheim is going to finish at the end of this year. Um yeah, but pretty comfortably. But like this is kind of more the team I was expecting them to have last year, even of just like they should have fun young talent that can pull off late game comebacks or, or be annoying for teams to deal with, you know? A hundred percent. And the weirdest thing too is like they've done this without Zegras functionally. He's like literally hurt and they're doing it without him now, but it's not like he was good in what he was playing either. Yeah. And you know, like it's just been I I still don't know if I want to defend. I'm not going to defend the moves by any means that they made this offseason. I still think some of those contracts were pretty insane. But, like, I do understand, you know, the value in bringing in a Radko Gudis, per se. You know, three years at $4 million is a little rich, maybe. But I get the idea behind of just getting a guy like him to add some depth to your blue line. Because uh, the other thing is Drysdale's also injured. Yeah, like, yeah, and there's value in just having NHL players around. Yeah, um, you know, and, and even same with um, Alex Klorn. Now that contract, there's no defending the actual contract itself. Um, yeah, but you could do having, it a lot cheaper than they did it. Still yes. mistakes, but still. <laughs> yes, exactly. And like they claimed Ross Johnson on waivers at 1.1 for three more years. That's not a big deal because you can bury that in the minors. But yeah, like just... The, I'm glad they are playing a guy like Leo Carlson as well. Um, yeah. Well, they're doing it really well too. They're, do you see their load management? I did not. Yeah, so they 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 went into it with this pre-planned. Um, they said they want to get play him in the NHL, but they're uh, they're practicing load management out on him, which I think is really cool to see. Yeah, I mean it, it makes sense. Um, you know, and, and he's looked good Absolutely. in what he's played. But again, like for an 18 year old who I'm just trying to pull up his uh, like, I can't imagine he's played much more in like 45 games in any given year. Well, so that's what I was going to say for those unfamiliar, like not only do you when you make the jump from prospects to the NHL, do you have to play in a way harder league than you ever played in? But a you have to play way more games under normal circumstances, especially for these pro hockey guys. Some of the junior guys do end up playing like 100 games in a season or 80 games in a season uh, when factoring the tournaments and stuff. But the guys who play European pro will play like 40 or 50 games in a season. Um, And then not only that, like Leo Carlson is playing pro. So he's most regular season games he ever played is 44 on his cap friendly page. He also missed a bunch of time due to COVID and stuff. Like the there was shortened season. Like he hasn't played a ton of hockey relative to an eighty-two game NHL season. So I, I think it's genius to make sure he's rested, just because everybody talks about how the hardest thing of a rookie season is. Oh, it's the wear and tear on your body, right? It's not just the competition level. So you have to go from playing fifty games to eighty-two, and uh, but you don't need him to play eighty-two. You're not trying to make the playoffs. You're just trying to get the best Leo Carlson you can for the future. So. I think this is one of the coolest ideas in the league. And I'll bet you if Carlson becomes a first line center, there's going to be tons of teams copying it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, six goals, two assists in 10 games so far is a pretty good, uh, pretty good look. And someone else who's really having to come in out party, I would say this year is Mason McTavish, who has 16 points in 15 games. Yeah, he's been legit. 
which is huge for this team. Yeah, because he... Some was in the water last year, but like, even still, he hadn't looked particularly impressive, and he's young, and there's always time and stuff, but like to actually see it is a completely different thing from believing it can and will happen. Yes, exactly. Especially because, you know, like, he's obviously young, but he's not that young anymore. You know, like, no, he's 20 turning... is not nearly as young as people think. No, exactly. And he's turning 21 before the end of the season. Yep. So obviously he still has room to grow and it's not like anyone should have been panicking or anything, but it's like, yeah, like if he was absolutely crapping, not crap, like he wasn't crap last year, but like if he put up 40 points again this year, it's like, okay, well, like that's not super encouraging for yeah. well, a guy that you're hoping is your, picks. yeah, like for a guy you're hoping is probably your second line center. Assuming the idea is to move Zegers to the wing, I'm not really sure, but. Yeah, and yeah. it's just it's good too because not only is he scoring goals and scoring points, but his underlines look better this year too. You know, like defensively he's still not good, but offensively he's actually creating as well. Whereas last year everything was just kind of negative. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, it's a great sign because you you probably don't want just and even if he does become like a a first liner, like a lower end first liner, like I think you're hoping for a legitimate difference maker. And yes, this is the first time he's looked like he could be that, which is awesome. Yep, I uh, I completely agree. So I don't really have too much on the Ducks. I mean, again, I, I don't think you know this is going to be a pace that's very sustainable. But again, this is this is the Ducks team that people wanted to see last year, and yeah. and especially this year too, bringing in more guys and, and having someone like Leo Carlson play. You know. Yeah, just and there's just so much more hope around it too. Like even when they do inevitably fall out of the playoff picture, like when Carlson's sitting there at a sixty point pace, it just makes it so much nicer. Yeah, exactly. Um, last thing I wanted to touch on today was that the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame class for 2023 was inducted on Monday night. Uh, I didn't watch any of this. I was on a plane home, but um, I just want to go over the, the, the people quick, just to remind everyone, uh, the headliner was definitely Hendrik Lundqvist. Uh, obviously this is, his, I think it was his first year of eligibility. It must've been. Um, and then there's a couple other pretty big names as well. Uh, Caroline Ouellette, uh, was the only female inducted. Ken Hitchcock was in the builder category. Uh, Tom Barrasso was in the player category. Pierre Lacroix was in the builder ca- category. Pierre Turgeon was in the player category and Mike Vernon in the player category. So three goalies go in uh, this year. I don't have too much of a take on this. Um, it's really cool to see Hendrik Lundqvist in the Hall of Fame. I mean, that was the biggest no-brainer, I think, of them all. 100%. Even small hall people. Yes. Obviously, first ballot, which I am a small hall guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, yeah, like, again, I don't think any of the other choices were bad. I think, you know, Caroline Ouellette was another pretty pretty obvious one as well. But, yep. uh Outside of that, like Pierre Tergeron, Ron Vernon, like or Mike Vernon, sorry, uh, and Tom Arasso. Yeah, they're all kind of guys where if you're going to go small hall, I don't think they really need to be in. But given the standards we already have now and the fact that they want to induct six to seven people a year, sure, whatever. I I, I don't really have an issue with it. Yeah, they all make sense as Hall of Very Goods, which is yeah. what, it, what it is. Yes, uh, exactly. So, um, yeah, I, I just want to bring that up quickly. Um, don't really have much to say on it. You know, we kind of, we give our opinions when they're announced a couple months ago or six months prior or whenever that the, it's announced. Uh, and then the, the time of is just to celebrate regardless, because even if I disagree with someone going in, it's still a great accomplishment and good for them, right? So, yeah, yeah, it's still cool to see. It's tough with a class like this because it's not like we grew up watching Tom mm-hmm. Barrasso or Pierre Tirschon or whatever, but like it's really cool to see Hank there. Yeah, that's the thing is like it's uh yeah, it, Hank is one not the first player, but definitely one of the first players where it's like, man, I watched this guy for his whole career. Yeah, we saw peak Lundquest all the way through. Yes, exactly. So um, the 2024 field could be interesting, though. I just want to bring this up really quick because it has a lot of Russians that are going to be near the top of the list. 
Yep, and it's got Datsuk for sure. Datsuk and Kovalchuk and McGillney. Oh, yeah. You think McGillney will ever get in? I feel like in a year like this, it might be. So I'm just going to run over. Here's ESPN, um, Greg Wyshynski's prediction. So Datsuk, he definitely, he's a lock. Like he feels like one that's automatically going to go in. Yeah, McGillney is a small hall first ballot. Even. Yep, exactly. McGillney, Kovalchuk. I would put Kovalchuk over McGillney in terms of likelihood, but maybe Probably, the end yeah. of his career dissuaded people. Uh, Ryan Miller is first year eligible. Um. Sergey Gonchar, seventh year eligible. Hendrik Zetterberg, third year eligible. Um, Shea Weber, first year eligible. Keith Kachuk, tenth year. Patrick Marlowe, I think, is also in there. I'll probably get in. I think he will as well. Again, we have this conversation when we're tired. Yeah, exactly. Right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I yeah, I, I think it's. I think it's pretty likely, to be honest. I don't know if he'll get in right away, but he'll get in. Yeah. But, like, again, if you're looking at it, like, they usually try and induct three players, I would say, at a minimum. Datsuk in for sure. But then you have two to choose from between, like, McGilney, Kovalchuk, Miller, Zetterberg, Gonchar. And, like, I think the Shea Weber as well. Like, I think there's fine cases for all of those guys, to be completely honest with you. Shea Weber gets in with a question, right? I I think so. Again, with his the triple the gold international, yeah, is huge. And and like to be fair to Shea Weber, like, you know, we always kind of comment about, oh, good, you were lucky enough to play in a golden era of Team Canada, but like he was a huge part of that as well. Yeah. He's definitely like it's the golden generation of Canadians benefits him greatly. But if we're like uh we'll look this up now. Where do you think he is on on the GAR leaderboards? Entire analytics era. I'm pretty sure he's up there. I would say he's gotta be pretty high because he was legitimately like a top five defenseman for a, a pretty good stretch in the two thousand tens there. Yeah. And even towards the end of the career he was pretty good. Yeah. yeah, so he's one, two, three, four, five, six. He's 11th in the entire analytics era and goals above replacement. Yeah, like I I think he should be a lot. Like honestly, I think I would have him right up there with Datsuk this year. Yeah, he would be the second behind it. Yeah. Um, right behind Eric Carlson, career goals above replacement. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, like even his um, last season was that cup run with Montreal, which he was a massive reason that they, you know, oh, made huge. it that far. Yep. He's ahead of career goals of replacement. He's ahead of like Duncan Keith. He's ahead of Dowdy. Guys like that. Suban. Funny enough. Yeah. Like, um, that's a pretty good case. Very easy uh, case to make. Triple cold, all that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm just trying to pull up if I can get the playoff like goals of our replacement and stuff like that um, to see if I can figure out. Ah, uh, they don't have it for goals. Oh well. Um, yeah, like he he was a phenomenal player, and, and again, like the, a lot of them, when it is part of Team Canada, it's like, oh yeah, he was lucky to be a part of that generation. It's like, okay, yeah, but like we've said that for like fifteen players as well. So at some point, they also have to just be part of it as well. Like it, it makes sense sure. when we say it about Chris Kunitz or whatever, right? But yeah, well, and Weber, it's nice because the gold being part of the gold generation is an and. Yes. It's not like there's yes, like exactly. a decent chunk of the like when people are like, oh, is Jeff Carter a Hall of Famer? Like, no, Jeff Carter yeah. is not a Hall of Famer. He just happened to be Canadian at a time where it was really good to be Canadian and always played on a line with Crosby, I think, in those international tournaments and stuff. But like Shea Weber has the NHL resume to get in. And then it's nice to touch on top. Yeah, for sure. So uh, anything else you want to touch on this week? I don't think so. I don't think so either, but a bit of a shorter episode, which I think is definitely okay. Um, Sweden trip coming up, I guess, is the one only other thing. Uh, Ottawa and Toronto are there right now with Detroit and Minnesota. Ottawa and Toronto will not play each other in Sweden, even though they're both over there. That is kind of weird, eh? It is. I, I get why. Like, no way Toronto's giving up a home gate, and Ottawa's not going to give up a home gate of Toronto because that's when they sell <laughs> the most expensive tickets of the year. Yeah, that's important. Important stuff. 
Yeah. Whereas you can definitely convince Minnesota to give up. I mean, I'm sure they weren't happy about it, but it's like you, you can tell them they're giving up a home gate and Detroit doesn't need it near as bad. True. And not that Ottawa, I think, needs it anymore either, but like literally like because, because Ottawa and Toronto are in the same province, the, the price is like quadruple when Toronto comes to town. So there's no yeah, way. I guess people gonna... probably even go from Toronto. Oh, they? a ton yeah, of them. Like they spend because yeah. it's che- it's literally cheaper to spend a weekend in Ottawa, drive down to Ottawa, get drive a hotel, up. go to the game, drive back, than it is to just go watch a game in Toronto. That's so sad. <laughs> it is crazy, um, but yeah. So th- that's why. And again, they're not going to make a like. I don't. I just don't see how they would have ever told an owner that just paid nine hundred and fifty million dollars for the club. Yeah, you're losing one of your biggest gate revenues of the year. Absolutely. So, um, but yeah, but we'll talk about that, I think, a little more next week, see if there's anything noticeable. I am looking forward to some daytime hockey on the weekend as well. I think the Leafs game on Sunday starts at 8 a.m., uh, which will be nice because that means it will. I will get to watch the Leafs game, the Vegas Grand Prix uh, that is on for F1, and then right into football on Sunday. It's going to be a good day of coaching. That is not electric day. So... Um, all right. I, I think that is all. Thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, check me out on Twitter at NHL Suns and stuff. Chase on Twitter at CM Hockey 66. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Eminem Hockey Pod on Twitter. Uh, and again, if you are looking to join some sports books or have any questions, you can shoot us a message, but uh, use the link signupexpert.com slash Eminem. Uh, you can find all my work at lastworldhockey.com and Chase's work at eliteprospects.com. Thank you everyone so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all next week. Bye.